although 1 Corinthians is often labeled as the book of 1 Corinthians, it's actually an epistle. The word epistle comes from the Greek word epistole. That means letter or message. Now, epistles were the primary form of written communication in the ancient world, especially during the the New Testament times. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians is just one of the 21 epistles included. Now, also, virtually no one of any scholarly credibility disputes that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the author of 1 Corinthians. In fact, even Paul mentions it in the first verse, and even at the end, the very end of 1 Corinthians. He mentions himself as a writer. Now, it's important to mention that although he physically wrote this book, it's um, every single word that was written there in this letter was inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.20 and 21 tells us, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as Paul wrote this letter with his hand, he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who actually led him to write every single word of this letter. Now, Paul wrote this letter either, letter either at the end, um, during, or at the final year of his three-year ministry at Ephesus. And different scholars um, have different ideas as far as when it was written, but most say it was between A.D. 54 and A.D. 56. Now, this was roughly about 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Also, according to chapters 15 and 16, it appears it was written in the spring, probably a few weeks before Pentecost. I know this slide is kind of hard to see, but I have a couple maps here. Um, when this, when this uh, letter was written, uh, Corinth was considered a new city, a fairly new city. Historical records indicate that about 100 years prior, a Roman general had destroyed it after the city led an unsuccessful revolt against Rome. Those, reser- those records also indicate that old Corinth may have had up to 1,000 prostitutes for the goddess, for the goddess e- e- Aphrodite. Aphrodite, I'm sorry. Now, for a century, Corinth was in ruins until Julius Caesar, in 46 BC, decided to rebuild the city as a retirement location for veteran soldiers who had served him. In Paul's time, it was the capital of the province of Achaia and the seat of the Roman proconsul. So this is the area I'm talking about here, Achaia. Um, and this is modern-day modern day Greece here, um, and then this is Turkey out in this area here. Now, besides being considered a fairly new city, Corinth was also a wealthy city. Because of its location on the thin strip of land connecting the Peloponnesian Peninsula to northern parts of Greece, 
It controlled major land routes, as well as seaports to the west and to the east. This made, this made the city a major commercial, shipping, trading, and military center. In Paul's day, this was the area that the east met the west. One other factor that made, the Corinth, that made Corinth a popular destination was its wickedness. In a world where ethical and the moral standards were already low, the city of Corinth set the bar even lower, lower and was notorious for its immorality. It was because of this that to be called a Corinthian was like being a called a sexual deviant. This letter was written to the Christian church located in the city of Corinth that Paul founded during his second missionary journey. And this second missionary journey, this actual story of how he founded the, Cor the Corinthians church is found in Acts chapter 18. Now because Corinth had a racially and culturally di diverse population, this church was made up of mostly Gentiles that probably gathered at a Jewish synagogue. This letter seems to reflect several groups in this church. There were intellectual Greeks who were, Greeks who were still very proud of their philosophical traditions and were trying to wed Christian revelation to those old customs and intellectual traditions. There were Roman patrons, the social elite were there, some Jewish converts, and a large number of converted slaves. Now several situations prompted Paul to write this epistle. He had previously written to them a, writ, uh, a letter that he that needed some clarification. He also received reports about various problems that had harmed the church from Chloe's people who visited Paul in Ephesus from Corinth. And the Corinthians had also written to him inquiring, inquiring about his thoughts on several issues and several topics. However, if there's a single all-encompassing problem exhibited by the members of the Corinthian church, um, it's this, um, the, their unbridled and arrogant self-promotion. You see, when the, Corinthian, uh, when the Corinthians came to Christ through Paul's ministry, they dragged with them into their church many of their selfish values of their pre-Christian lives. They were just bringing them along, all their problems, all the issues, the way they saw the world, the way they saw that worship ought to be was bringing them now into the Corinthian church. And it had become clear that those attitudes had begun to take root in their church. So for Paul, it was necessary to write this letter to address these problems that were, that were fracturing the church at Corinth and to answer some of the questions they had. Nevertheless, in spite of all that, he had a far deeper purpose for writing this letter, which he presents right from the beginning. He wants them and us to know that, all belie that as believers, we belong to the Lord. And that as his possession, Jesus has authority over us. 
Therefore, in every aspect of our lives, whether in conduct, whether in speech, believers ought to live their life or ought to live for his glory and not for our own. Throughout this letter, every issue that Paul addresses, he answers it by reminding the reader of this fact. Paul's overall intent is to move those Corinth is to move is to move those in the Corinthian church to recognize that Jesus that to recognize uh, Jesus Christ's uh, ownership over them and the implication this had in their lives. This is also important to keep in mind as we study this letter. Now, what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us as a church, as a people in, in here living in 2018? First Corinthians will challenge us just as it challenged the church in Corinth. Some of these challenge, some of these challenges will be personal, such as marriage, singleness, sexual immorality, liberties, or what we call freedoms in Christ, the right, uh, the right use of spiritual gifts, and the proper understanding of the resurrection. As a growing church, this letter will also challenge us by addressing issues like divisions and quarrels, order of worship, the role of women, lawsuits among believers, and the significance of the Lord's Supper. So you can see that this seems to cover a bunch of issues, a bunch of topics that I know for some churches, for some you know, maybe pastors, are going to be really difficult, have been really difficult to cover. But that's the great thing about covering this book chapter by chapter and verse by verse is that you know, I'm not really allowed to skip any part of it. If I skip any part of it, I'm not allowed to tell you something. And yes, it may challenge even me. It may challenge you. It may challenge all of us. Because again, there's a purpose behind it. And as a new church, again, we want to always do right with the Lord. We want to be following what the Lord says. You see, just like the Corinthian church, there are a lot of believers who are coming into the church, dragging with them many of their selfish values of their pre-Christian pre lives. Not only that, many also bringing with them some unhealthy and incorrect practices of former churches. So as we go through this uh, first epistle to the Corinthians, my hope and prayer is that all of us will continue to mature, that we will grow, that we will, that the Lord will just give us more wisdom and knowledge, that we will mature as individual believers and be more united. If we are to make any spiritual progress, we must learn to reject the values and priorities of the culture around us, live to promote the betterment of others, and ultimately live for God's glory. So now that I've given you a brief overview of this letter, I want to spend the remaining time examining the, um, just the beginning, the, the the salutation that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. So if you haven't already, please um, 
grab your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1 says, Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother. I'm going to go through this verse by verse. Um, we're only going to be covering the first three verses. So there, that's the first verse. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother. In this opening greeting, Paul identifies himself, his calling or commission as an apostle of Jesus Christ and then makes it clear that this calling was not of Paul's own choosing, but it was due entirely to God's will. He didn't go to the other apostles and, and, and was elected or they had chosen him through lot or, you know, this was, God had chosen him. He didn't de designate himself, Paul didn't designate himself as an apostle. This was all God's doing. It was God's will. Now, for those of you who haven't uh, read it, the, books of Acts, the book of Acts records Paul conversion, Paul's conversion experience three times. In chapters 9, in chapters 22, and in chapter 26. In chapter 22, Luke reveals that on, that, on the day of his conversion, Paul asks two questions of the Lord. He says, he first asks, who are you, Lord? Which was answered with, I am Jesus of Nazareth the one you are persecuting. He then asks, or his second question was, what should I do, Lord? Jesus' answer to this question is found in Acts chapter 26, verses 16 and 18. And this is what the Lord said, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In that powerful moment, in that life-changing, extraordinary moment, Jesus made it clear what Paul's purpose and calling, what his calling was, and that God has specifically chosen him. The only times he ever referred to himself in this way as an apostle and uh, of God's will um, was when his authority was being challenged or when he was writing to correct his readers. Now, honestly, um, I, I don't think um, our conversion story, your conversion story, may not have been as extraordinary as Paul's. You may not have seen Jesus Christ actually appear before you in a light and throw you off a donkey and, and blind you. But considering who, we were, who, we, who you were before, spiritually, it was just Also, keep in mind that when you open the door to your heart to Jesus and became born again, you were also called for a specific purpose. Now, for some, this calling is right away. He may know, he may tell you what this calling is from the from the outset. 
but for others, like me, for instance, it could take years. It could take some time. But regardless of when it happens, it will become clear, and God will empower you to fulfill it. Romans 11.29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Remember, God's timing is perfect. And according to Philippians 1.6, He who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As I already mentioned, in the meantime, until he makes it obvious to you what that calling is, continue to grow in the knowledge of him. Continue to walk with him. Continue to keep your eyes focused on him. Continue just to love him, embrace him. Learn the Bible. Learn just to minister to others. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Uh, in this first verse, he also mentioned a fellow believer named Sosthenes. It's believed that Sosthenes was probably the synagogue ruler at Corinth, mentioned in Acts chapter 18, verse 17. It's also likely that Sosthenes is mentioned here to let the readers know that he is accompanying Paul. He then writes in verse 2, To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all, with all those in every place who call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Now, although Paul is addressing the Corinthians church, he is also addressing us. He's also addressing every believer who happens to read this letter, which, again, would now include both you and I, you and me. You see, back then, these letters, these scrolls, these epistles were often passed around from church to church until they were ultimately gathered in this book we call the New Testament. Paul also addresses those sanctified in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified literally means set apart in Greek and has its roots in the idea of marriage, wherein one is set apart to someone and for someone. So if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are sanctified, you are set apart. You are united with them. That there's that again, that marriage idea. You are sanctified to him and for him. First Peter 2.9 puts it like this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He then adds that those who are set apart or those who are sanctified, they are called as saints. The word saint here means one separated from the world and consecrated to God 
one holy by profession and by covenant. A believer in Christ. Let me say that again. A saint is a believer in Christ. So in other words, as believers, you and I are saints. We are separated for God and called and are called holy. Now, when I first heard this, when this idea first came to my mind, when I read this and understood this, I found it absolutely fascinating. Because growing up in the Catholic faith, my concept of a saint was completely different. I now understand that sainthood is not something that we work to become, or that it's a title given to a few important holy people. No, it's who we automatically become when we're born again. The moment we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we surrender ourselves to him, we are set apart. We are called a saint. At the end of this verse, Paul states that these truths not only apply to those in Corinth, but all Christians everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. By saying, by saying both their Lord and ours, Paul is stressing the spiritual unity that all believers share in Christ Jesus. He is the link that unites you and another believer in some remote village on the other side of the world. He is the link. He is the glue. He is the common denominator. Yeah, we may worship differently. We may um, have different denomination, but ultimately, we are believers of Jesus Christ. He's their Lord and our Lord. Now, regarding this unity, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 6 tells us, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and living through all. <coughs> Paul then ends his greeting by saying in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Charis, or grace, was the typical Greek greeting, and shalom, or peace, was its Hebrew counterpart. Here, and in the other epistles, what Paul is doing is he com he's combining these two words. He's marrying these two words, the, the Greek word and the Hebrew word. However, by also using these words, he's also referencing two important theological terms. Grace, which is the free gift of God given to believers through the cross of Jesus, and peace which is what we have when we've been reconciled to God the moment we repent of our sins and receive his forgiveness. Paul makes it clear at the end of this greeting that the origin of grace and peace is from the one true living God 
revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's the same grace. It's the same peace that is extended to every person in this world. It's this, it's, it's, he's offering it to everybody who's willing to accept it. One more thing I want you to do, if you don't mind, um, I want you to open up your, I want to read something to you, if you don't mind, going one book prior to, again, to Romans, and I want you to turn to chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. Read along as I, as I read from verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time for the world so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. You see that? Do you see what we've become, what, what he's offering to us through Jesus? It's nothing that we do. It's not any work that we can do. It's a free gift. It's a free gift of grace. God's grace is given through no one other than Jesus Christ. Only that peace. A peace that nothing this world and offer will ever be able to give us. It's this peace that comes by surrendering, by just giving our lives over to him, knowing that he's taking care of us. He's watching over us, that we have eternal security. Yes, we may have problems and tribulations here in this world. We may have issues. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. Our height, no depth, anything. And that, I don't know about you, but it brings me so much comfort and joy. And I, as I, as I think about it, it just makes me just want to worship Him more and more. Even though I didn't deserve it. Even I didn't go, I didn't deserve his grace and his peace and his and his love. He 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 gave it to me. And again, this can be offered to you. This can be offered to anybody who opens their heart to Jesus Christ. Who opens the door, who allows him to come in and change it and just remove all the junk from the you know, that is in there, that is in the heart. And he becomes Lord and Savior of your life. 
anybody watching or listening you want to believe in him all you have to do is open the door to your heart if you're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior let me I want to lead you in prayer to receive him allow him to come into your heart that's what you want to do Wherever you're at, pray this with, with just a, a pure and sincere heart. Heavenly Father, forgive me. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I've fallen short. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he is God. So now I open the door of my heart to him to come in and change my life. receive your forgiveness. And now I ask you, Lord, help me, Lord. Give me the strength to change those awful habits, those sinful ways. Fill me with your spirit. Somebody know. Let us know. Contact us. Let me remind those of us. How wonderful God is. He's extending this love to you today. And if you have any doubts or if you have any questions or if you're hurting or if you're, you know, you want that reassurance, come and talk to one of us. We'll pray with you. We'll minister to you. But don't leave here. always going to be there for you. So, let's close my throughout our day and our week. Help us to see that and understand that every single moment. When things are going horribly, when, when we're having a bad day, when we're fighting with our spouses or fighting with our friends or fighting with our coworkers or whoever I may be, Lord, 
find us what you've called us to be. here and they may they make us form in our seats so that we may understand it so that we may come out of comfort zones try and move where you are Lord I thank you Lord that bless us now Lord we pray this all for your glory and for Christ's name we look forward to the time as well Lord that we can 